Welcome to People's Church Podcast. I just want to talk to you this morning about making a better life in all circumstances, which is going to be a circumstance itself, I think. Um, in the introduction there, uh, the video it said, while God is working and your circumstances, out your circumstances, will you trust that God's working out his plan? That can sometimes be a tall order. He's working out his plan and his purpose for your life, to love you, that you would let him love you, and that you would love him and know him personally. There's a great scripture. Um, it's found in the book of Jeremiah. It's uh, I'm not going to give you the address for it because it's going to be up on the screen here. It probably is already. Is it? No. Now it is. Thanks, guys. It, you know, this scripture up here, you, you've probably read it in the Bible, but you know this scripture up here is found on decorative plates and plaques and coffee mugs and banners and inspirational pictures with eagles soaring around it. But it is such a promise. And it's such a promise because it's attached to such a great story. It's attached to a huge circumstance that happened to the people of Jerusalem, the country, uh, South Kingdom of Judah. Here it is, let me read it. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Fabulous, fabulous. That scripture pulls you in. I've been he hearing it for many, many years. I've heard it. Uh, people pray it, actually. Pray it over others. Give it as a promise to others. Write it in a note to others. And it is such an inspiration. It gives us hope, it gives us promise. But I wanna talk about the background. Have you studied the background of this scripture? The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter to these Jewish captives that had been taken from their homes and displaced into the city of Babylon. A thousand kilometers away from their homeland. A thousand kilometers, that seems like nothing today, right? You know, you can get there uh, a couple hours if you're flying, <laughs> and some of you do fly, not in planes, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's what, 10 hour drive maybe, uh, that's not too long, um, but they, this is a long way for them, over 10,000 people of the prominent people, of the educated, of the art artisans, of the tradesmen, all the people that could do something for Babylon, they could use their skills, they were forced to go over there, they'd taken over there. Imagine, they didn't get on a bus, they didn't get on a plane, they didn't even get to ride in the back of a cattle car, that would have been better, they walked all the way over there in their bondage from their beloved city of Jerusalem that was left in ruins and their beautiful temple had been destroyed. And God says, I know the plans I have for you. 
This is a huge circumstance. Can you imagine now there's 10,000 people? Can you imagine the personal trauma that these people went through? Can you imagine the huge ripple effects in so many ways? Talk about circumstances. They would say, but Lord, we are your chosen people, and here we are in Babylon, our enemy's town, and you've forced us, you, they forced us to leave our beloved Jerusalem and they ruined it and we are displaced here? Lord, how will the promises of the Messiah ever happen? And they knew the promises of the coming Messiah and this wasn't it. So J Jeremiah writes this letter. Jeremiah does not go with them. He writes the letter from Jerusalem. He's left behind. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of all Israel, says to all the captives he has ex exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. This letter becomes an encouragement from the first sentence. He talks about the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of all Israel, the Lord of heaven's armies. Not the, it's not the Babylonian armies. You fear them, but you put them up against the Lord of the heaven's armies, and he has <clears throat> heaven's armies with him, the God of all Israel. Now, at this time, the, these people were from the southern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel had split. It was no longer the, the, the power that it had been way back in David's day. So um, he says, the God of all Israel, he's saying something here. He's encouraged them. He's encouraging these captives in their exile. He says to them, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them, that you may have many grandchildren, like that idea, and uh, multiply, do not dwindle away. There's four responses to have in life as things don't go according to your plans or my plans. There's four responses that lead us to a better life in all, in all our circumstances. Here's the first one. In all circumstances, increase, do not decrease. He said, he said to them, multiply. Don't dwindle away. You're not over there just to, you know, just to kind of dwindle away and wear yourself out and just be there until the last one of you drops dead. That wasn't the idea. That's not why they were there. And, you know, we can dwindle away in our relationships, in the challenges of those, in the circumstances, in, in our marriage, in our work, in our business, in our inner struggles, in our parenting, we can dwindle away. I read a marriage, uh, I have this marriage book, I was reading about uh, this counselor that uh, he had a circumstance with a couple. And so they came in and saw him, but well, he didn't have it, they had the circumstance. They sat down in the counselor's office and he said to him, what's the problem? My husband and wife are sitting there the wife says, I don't like the way he breathes. <laughs> now that's a circumstance, isn't it? That's a, that's a bit of a problem. That's like, 
wow, that's kind of a basic thing to breathe? I mean, what's happening next? Is the pillow going to move over his face in the, <laughs> at night or something? I don't like the way he breathes. But the point is, circumstances. That's a, it's not a fun one for the guy, but I mean, it's funny to think about that, that would happen in a counselor's office. But the question is, are you under arrest by your circumstances? Have you been taken captive by them? Are you be, being detained by them? God does not want you to merely survive in the troubles and the problems and the situations that you face in day-to-day -day life. He wants you to thrive. Remember that word, thrive. So I'm going to take you back a little bit to the history of kind of what went on after and we're going, to, we're going to come back to this letter. But I want to talk to you about four of those uh, captives, especially about one. Do you remember them? They come, on, they come on stage in the book of Daniel. And they were taken, and they were told, uh, you know, to be on staff eventually at the king's palace. And right in the middle of this thing, the, other, the rest of the captives were were out living in places around Babylon, especially by the, the river Chabar. Uh, but there's this record in the book of Daniel of four young men. You remember them? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael, and Azariah, who you know better the last three as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That's a, that, that, but that's the uh, Babylonian name. And Daniel was given a Babylonian name also as Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, yeah. But I, I think that's why in the book you only know him as Daniel because that's not an easy name to pronounce. But here they are, young men, uh, healthy, handsome, intelligent, educated, good prospects, uh, for leadership positions in Nebuchadnezzar's government. That's what he got them for. He told his servant to go out and bring, bring me some good men back. And he said, I, I, I want you to indoctrinate them. Get, teach them our Babylonian language. Indoctrinate them into fortune telling and magic and, and all of the occult stuff that was going on in that, the, the religion of the Babylonians. And then he ordered them to be served the absolute menu off the king's table. See, what was Nebuchadnezzar's plan in this? It was to diminish these guys, to decrease them, to force them to be Babylonians. But you know what? They were God's young men. In fact, it says in Daniel, but Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. And he never did. Uh, and as a result of it, he was a strong young man. He didn't even know that he was not eating this great food because he was eating the food that was good for him. So what's the mold? What's the mold that... Uh, 
our culture? What's the mold of our own desires? What's the mold that the enemy subtly tries to push us in and deflate us and diminish us? Jeremiah said to them, do not decrease, increase. And they graduated, after three years, they graduated out of their school. Daniel was, was gifted in understanding all sorts of visions, but he didn't get it from the school. He just, he got to learn the language and understand the Babylonian ways, but he didn't live those ways. He lived for God. And they were sent to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel was in the king's palace. He didn't decrease. He increased. Uh, and they took their place in the king's service. And they found them to be ten times better than all the enchanters, the fortune tellers, the priests of the Babylonians. But go on to look at verse 7 here. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city and where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it for its welfare will determine your welfare. So he says, do not decrease, increase. And then the second response that we might, must take is light a candle and pray where you are. You say, light a candle. They don't see them lighting a candle. It doesn't say anything about lighting a candle in the scripture here. I'm not talking about the ritual. He says... Pray for the town. Pray for the city. And its welfare will determine your welfare. Lighting a candle refers to bringing the light into your circumstances in life. And I'm not saying that God is the, necessarily the author of our circumstances, but he works all things through, to good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. He says to, he, God says to them here, work for the peace and prosperity where I sent you. Work for it. Pray about it. What circumstance are you in? What problem are you going through? What situation are you facing this week? What's percolating in your life? What's percolating in your home, what's percolating in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit. An incident, maybe it was from last week, something that you carried over into this week's. What's got in your craw? You heard that one? Maybe a long time ago. That you can't let go of, and it's become a circumstance. Is it the fear? that brings you anxiety? Is it the frustration that sparks your anger? Is it that hurt that breaks your heart? Is there a trigger from the past or the present? Jesus said this, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it is lost if, if, if it has lost, I'm sorry, its savor. What if it doesn't have taste anymore? What if salt 
couldn't preserve anymore because that was a big preserving. They didn't have these walk-in freezers back then. Uh, didn't have these shiny freezers or uh, refrigerators that sit in our kitchens looking nice and when they're full, they're real nice. They didn't have real, a lot of methods to make food safe, to make it so that it was secure. That that food was secure for a time until they could eat it. They didn't have, they had salt. And I want you to think about that word secure. Care. Do you know the security of the Lord? Do you know the security and the exception? And are you the salt of the world? Are you sharing what God has shared with you? It says, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, city, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. This is where the light comes in, a light on a hilltop. In circumstances, in relationships, in words, in actions, in reactions. Reactions are the most powerful thing. Talked about that here a number of weeks ago. It's not your words, it's not your actions, but it's your reactions that are more remembered and hurt people or bless people than your actions and words. Here's a saying I used to hear. I heard this years ago as a young Christian, and it was in a, in, in a message somewhere, and I've heard it you know, some back then. It says, stop shouting at the darkness and light a candle. That's where the Israelites, these, these guys from Jerusalem, were at what they were asked to do and what they were told to do in this letter. Light a candle where you are. And pray where you are. It's by grace we do this. It's by grace that our words and actions and reactions become a lit candle rather than some kind of a spear. He says, work for the peace and prosperity where you're at. Pray where you are, not where you want to be. You know, here's an old analogy. Um, what do you do? Think about your circumstances. What do you do when you're at the end of your rope? <laughs> you ever been at the end of your rope? No, nobody here has been at the end of the rope. Now, I'm not talking to sailors here or farmers that tie stuff up on their loads or whatever. You've never been at the end of your rope? I'm not going to have a show of hands, but you know you have been at the end of your rope. And you know that maybe even some of you right now are at the end of your rope. Or you were a time ago at the end of your rope. Or you know that you'll one day probably be, it seems like you're at the end of your rope again. You've done, think about this, you've done what you can do. You know where you are. And... So you've tied off the end of the rope and you're hanging on for dear life. So you've taken your responsibility, the knot, right? You got the knot. And you got your grasp. You're owning this thing. 
You've taken responsibility. And you cry out for help. And that's, that's, that's a simple prayer. You prayed. Pray where you are. Pray where you are. Don't give up. Don't criticize yourself and say, well, if it wasn't for me and I hadn't done that, if this wouldn't happened, I wouldn't be at the end of this rope. I'd probably be a few inches up the rope. <laughs> Pray where you are. The captives weren't going anywhere at this point when Jeremiah sent the letter. They have been, been, may have been thinking, this is it. We're at the end of our rope. Our nation, our people will dissolve into nothing. Or this huge circumstance will take us down for sure. But Jeremiah said, pray for its welfare. Pray for its welfare, because it will determine your welfare. Now that seems to be like an opposite thing to do. And actually it is. It is an opposite thing to do. Who wants to pray for their enemies? The Bible tells us to pray for our enemies, but do we pray for our enemies? And do we even want to pray for enemies? I tell you, I'm just confessing here, it is not easy for me to pray for my enemies or for those that hurt you or have hurt you. Jesus said, bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. The message version says, when someone gives you a hard time, respond with supple moves of prayer for that person. Supple moves of prayer? Yeah, take down your fist. A supple, that's kind of a neat way it's to say it, isn't it? It means gentle. You, like, you, know, you take the little baby out of the crib. He's just a little guy. And you hold them. And you're very supple with them. And you might even whisper a prayer for that grandchild of yours. When someone gives you a hard time, you respond in that way. Remember, words, action, reaction. Which speaks the best, which leaves the best lasting impression. John Wesley was a preacher back in the late 1700s. I think he died in the late 1700s. He started a whole movement called Wesleyism, which came out of the Church of England and uh, just exploded into America um, as a revival. But a young lady once said to John Wesley, I think I know what my talent is. Wesley said, well, tell me, tell me, what's your talent? She replied, I think it's to speak my mind. <laughs> well, John Wesley said this, I do not think God would mind if you would bury that talent, <laughs> right? So in those circumstances, when you want to give a piece of your mind, Consider what you will have left over after you give it to them. Might not be too much. 
Making a better life in all circumstances comes by seeing a much bigger picture than me in my circumstances or you in your circumstances. A prayer in, for others involved will bring you to a place of humility. You will have to humble yourself to pray. And that puts God at the center. That puts God sovereign as we had that great, that's a great song. We've been singing that for years here at People's, but it's always a good one. God is sovereign. We don't understand sovereignty too much. Uh, it's about the king is allowed to be king. In the kingdom of God, the king is sovereign. See, God got put in the center of this dilemma of, uh, in fact, he was more than even in the center of this dilemma. And if you let God in the center of your dilemmas, your problems, your circumstances, they'll move our selfish wills, it'll change our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, and our words to the outside. It will no longer be in here. They will be out there. Not that you won't be con concerned, but you won't be full of anxiety. You won't be shooting your mouth off at something that gets you in trouble. So pray where you are. It doesn't stop circumstances, but it changes you when those difficult situations come with relationships, in your family, in your work, in your parenting, in your finances, or usually in the lack of thereof, in our society, in our culture, in just now, think of it, and you know this, our culture has changed. Our society has changed in a hurry. Where do we need to pray? Where we are? People need Jesus. We need to be, of course, like I said, the salt of the earth, the light, can't light, lighting the candle. He is the good news. In fact, there's an old song, we sang, we sang it when I was, it was kind of back in the Jesus Revolution days, if you saw that movie. I think it was a song, it was a song from that era. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. He's the good news. And he's trying to reach people through us. So pray where you are. Light a candle. Increase. Don't decrease. And then Jeremiah writes, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Notice he starts with the Lord of Heaven's armies and the God of Israel. He's still encouraging them. Do not let your prophets and your fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them. So there were some prophets even from Jerusalem that were false prophets that had gone over there. He says, they're fortune tellers. They don't dabble. They, they dabble in the dark areas. They don't love God. He reminds them again from the words 
of this letter. And he does say it five times, I'm with you. The God of Israel, the Lord's armies of heaven. So response number three in making a better life in all circumstances is listen carefully and reject wrong voices. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived. The background is so important in the context of that wonderful verse which we are going to get to. God had exiled them. Babylonians had taken them, but God had exiled them. And listen to his voice here. It was in Jeremiah's letter. Jeremiah calls them out for spreading false hope and wicked messages and contrary, contrary to God's word. He calls these prophets out, these false prophets. And he says, they're with you. They're lying to you. They're getting into your head. They're saying this isn't God. He's not with us. These are not God's prophets. These are fortune tellers. Here's a scripture that we hear often. It's one... You know, you commit it to memory or you, you have the gist of it inside your head here, in your heart. Don't copy the behavior and customs. This is Romans 12 too, of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is what the prophets, the false prophets were after, to change the, the, the good think in the children of Israel, in the Jerusalem uh, captives, to a bad thing, to take control. They wanted control. They wanted to take the control out of God's hands. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for which is good and pleasing and perfect. Here's another great one to talk about this. It talks about our hearts. And, and these false prophets were trying to grab these people's hearts and a lot of things in our culture and in our, in our world today want to grab our hearts, which is the very seat of who we are. Grab our thinking. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Those springs of life that give uh, water to your family, that make you have a, have a good job but be a good worker, that help you to parent. Those are the wellsprings that come out of your life and the words of God that are there in your life. Another version says, guard your heart all, with all possible vigilance for from it flow the wellsprings of life. In ancient times, they guarded water wells. They actually guarded, you have a water well in the desert and they'd actually put guards around it because the enemies would come and poison them. It says guard your heart with all diligence. You think there might be some poison out in our culture that is poisoning hearts, poisoning our minds, poisoning those of young people. You think there might be some intentional things being done. And of course, we know who's behind it all. It's the enemy, the enemy of our souls. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. Out there. Thousands and thousands of Christians, you're not the only one with circumstances. You're not the only one who's, it seems some days maybe your mind is just flooded by all the stuff and it's creating anxiety. And God can help you put a guard around that and watch your heart and, and pray that you, you can do that. Watch your heart. Watch your children's heart because they are your children. They are minors. Some of the stuff they see, they hear, is not for children. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but when I come and, but I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. That was the promise. See, these prophets down there, over there in Babylon, they were saying, now, you, this is not a problem. You guys are going to be back home and yeah, it might take a couple of years, you know, but you're going to get back there. This is, this is, this is not, this is not, you know, God. He's not in this, but God was in this. He was in it. Not, not to punish his people, but to uh, guide his people. He had to get them out of that place to reset them, reboot them over here in Babylon so he could bring them back seven, in 70 years. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, all people didn't go back because they had their children and their grandchildren went back. So, response number three. Sign up for the long game, the long haul, overtime. More than overtime. Big overtime. Take the long view. Sometimes we say, well, Lord, I'll hang in here for a while, but I'm going to have some options. When the going gets rough, if I can't handle some of the circumstances, I'll put my resume in elsewhere. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Put your resume in elsewhere. Here's God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, sent his son Jesus to the cross, paid the penalty of our sin, now has a relationship with us, and we say, oh, I'm going to put my resume in elsewhere. Well, you, know, I, you, know, you don't want to leave Jesus, but you know, maybe I can just kind of fake it a little bit, and maybe I can just kind of do my will, his will over here, rather than... His will here. Maybe I can kind of mix the two together. Maybe I can just get my resume in there. Go back to Daniel for a moment. Daniel was there, do you know, he was there for the entire 70 years. He was in the king's service until the first year in the reign of the, of, of the last king that would keep Jerusalem captive. King Cyrus. After three years of training, he was an officer, a government official in four different king's administrations. Nebuchadnezzar was the first. And he becomes 
into this administration after he interprets his dream. So that's the Babylonian Empire. Then another king, Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, Belshazzar, after Daniel, and he's the last king of Babylon, reads the writing on the wall. Daniel, well, he sees the writing on the wall. Daniel interprets it, and the very night that empire is destroyed by the next empire, Darius the Mede, the Mede Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, and then the final king, Cyrus the Persian king. But David, pardon me, Daniel was in there for the long haul. You know he's in there for the long haul because in the second, the second last king, and this is way on in his life, uh, maybe 10 years before Cyrus became king, I don't know exactly, but he was old. He was old. He wasn't a young man anymore. And the new king that had come on board, this Darius, really liked Daniel. And you know the story. His enemies thought up a plan to get rid of Daniel, to make a new law that he would not obey, that he could not obey. And they needed the king to, to convince the king that uh, he had to sign this law. And they proposed it to him. He did sign the new law into... Uh, uh, to be a law in the land. These were circumstances beyond Daniel's control, but it came back to the, the, the one thing that Daniel did all the time. It said, you are not allowed to pray to any other God for 30 days. You must pray to the king and to his God. Now, this really was a problem for Daniel. He, got, he knew about the new law, and he didn't obey the new law. There he was, with his windows open. He prayed to God, the true God. And, you know, here's these guys, his enemies. There they are. They're looking through binoculars. And they're watching. If they could, they would have gone and got a selfie with him, showed it to the king. And so they arrested him because they saw him at the window. And King Darius never, in, never intended for Daniel to be arrested. He never intended for Daniel not to pray to, to, to the God of Israel. Never intended that. But he was caught also because he had signed the decree. And the punishment was this. You know what it was. Get thrown into a den of lions. Right? That's, that's a predicament. That's a circumstance. Thrown into the den of lions. Uh, but all night, and you know, the king was really worried, and he even sat up and, and, and worried about Daniel all night, and, and Daniel, 
was not harmed. We know the story. The mouths of the lions were shut. He was still alive. The King Darius rejoiced. And his, in, in his rejoicing, he threw the wicked enemies into the cave with the lions. And it says, they hadn't even reached the bottom of the floor of the cave. And these lions tore them to shreds and ate them. Daniel played the long game, even this later on thing. There's lots of stories in Daniel about how he played the long game and he trusted his God. He did the long haul. So we come to this prayer now in verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. He's, you know, in this plan, it's, in this, this uh, scripture, it's almost as if Jeremiah is thinking, do you think, is saying, do you think I don't know the plans I have for you? He's saying this for God. Do you think I don't know the plans I have for you? Because that's kind of the way sometimes we act. God's got no plans for me. I'm just going to kick around here. Do you know that I have that I know those plans and I have not forgotten you? But have the circumstances of your life blotted it out? And that was the whole thing that was going on with the, uh, the, the temptation to, oh, God's not with us. We're in captivity. We're done. You ever had a day like that when something happens and you say, oh, I'm done. Forget it. I'm just going to go and put myself in the corner. I'm going to have some self-pity time. But it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not for disaster. Not for disaster. Not for you to live in your self-pity. Not for you to, well, I'm the only one for you to think that. Not for you to not know God, but to know him. Personally, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And then, you know, we connect that wonderful scripture that just jumps off the page to us. We connect it not only to history, but we connect it to the next scripture, which is a wonderful scripture. It says, and you will seek me when you search for me with all your heart. I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. I will let myself be. You know how intimate that is? God says, I will let myself be found by you. In Romans it says that God, God has trapped everyone in our world in their sin that he might show mercy to them. That he might let himself be known, that they might find him, that you might find him, that you might find him in all your circumstances and all your troubles, whatever they are, what, however trivial they are, you might think they are. God 
knows about them. He knows about you. How does he know in 7 billion people on the planet, or maybe 8 billion now, how does he know that? Because he's God. They, they can make computers that will, and they got the, the robots now too, uh, but they can do like in a nanosecond, they can do a, a million calculations or more, and that was sort of the, uh, the men's minds. What is God's mind like? Have you ever thought that? You think, well, me, I'm just one little old person on this little, this little planet and there's seven other billion people here and I don't know. Back to the quote from the video, while God is working out the circumstances, you will, will you trust that God is working out his plan? Now here's the thing. This thing about prayer, we've been talking about prayer, maybe you've struggled with prayer. You think, well, I don't know how to pray. I stumble over myself when I pray. I, I don't know what to pray. I feel defeated when I pray. Well, Nelson gave us a little quote last week. He said, prayer is not words, it's heart. Remember that one? Prayer is not words, it's heart. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. In all circumstances, that's your last blank, by the way. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster. Apostle Paul says in uh, the end of one of his books, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Let's stand together in prayer. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. A better life in all circumstances. And you may be here this morning, you may be watching online. And you don't know what God's plans are. But God knows what God's plan, his plans are for you. His plans is that to all that receive him, to them he gives the power to become the children of God, to be his son, his daughter. You want to receive him this morning? You can pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe you. And I do receive you this morning. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. Thank you, Lord, that you will give me a future and a hope. I ask you to come into my life. I choose to follow you today. Help me to know you. Help me to trust you and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Christians, keep praying with me here. Lord, I just pray that it would be enough. Let it be, help it, Lord, to be enough for us. 
to just trust that you know our, you, you have your plans and you're working through them. Whatever we face this week, whatever has come up from past weeks, things that trigger us, anxieties that come forth to us. Lord, we're living in a anxious world. Right now, if you have a circumstance, and I'm sure every one of us probably has something, I want you to just, in your heart, lift that circumstance and that trouble, that problem, that situation to him. Remember, he's sovereign. Lord, I just uh, pray for all that are here that they would be able to lift those things up to you. To give them to you. Yeah, to still be concerned. To continue to pray, but to give them to you. To constantly give them to you. Not just here this morning, this service, but even driving the car. Whatever we do for work, in our parenting, whatever we do, we give our circumstances to you, those things that worry and fret us, those things, those relationships that are broken that we're wanting to mend, those opportunities to speak to our young people, our kids, our neighbors. The scripture says, keep your eyes on Jesus. And Lord, we ask you to help us to keep our eyes on you because you are the author. You are the finisher of our faith. You, are, you have joy in us. You suffered on the cross that you might pay for our sins and make us right before you. And when, when you were going to the cross, it was for the joy of having people following you and you saving them from their sins. We give you praise this morning. Lord, I pray you bless this congregation that they would know the plans that you have. They're for good, for prosperity, for peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.